Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another informative and insightful and sometimes humorous hour of the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Today's date, June 5th, 2012. Beautiful old town Alexandria, just across the just across the river from Washington, D.C. I can see out my window just a little bit now because the the trees have blossomed. Suicide is painless. Well, we'll get into that in just a moment or two. Don't you hate it when folks say, give me a second? Just give me a second. 
it's like five minutes later. And you're like, okay, does a second not mean a second anymore? Since when does a second mean five, ten minutes? Or even two minutes? Oh, well. If I wanted America to fail, hmm, what would I do? If I wanted America to fail, if you wanted America to fail, what would you do? How would you go about it? Well, the sense of life objectivist, solo, they've got some ideas. Take a listen and see if uh, any of that, any of what you hear sounds familiar. Once again, you're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report, and I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. The calling number is 347-884-8500. If I wanted America to fail, to follow, not lead, to suffer, not prosper, to despair, not dream, start with energy. I'd cut off America's supply of cheap, abundant energy. I couldn't take it by force. So I'd make Americans feel guilty about using the energy that heats their homes, fuels their cars, runs their businesses, and powers their economy. I'd make cheap energy expensive, so that expensive energy would seem cheap. I would empower unelected bureaucrats to all but outlaw America's most abundant sources of energy. After banning its use in America, I'd make it illegal for American companies to ship it overseas. If I wanted America to fail, I'd use their schools to teach one generation of Americans that their factories and their cars will have a new ice age. And I'd muster a straight face so I could teach the next generation that they're causing global warming. When it's cold out, I'd call it climate change instead. I'd imply that America's cities and factories could run on wind power wishes. I teach children how to ignore the hypocrisy of condemning logging, mining, and farming while having roofs over their heads, heat in their homes, and food on their tables. I would never teach children that the free market, the only force in human history, to uplift the poor, establish the middle class, and create lasting prosperity. Instead, I demonize prosperity itself so that they will not miss what they will never have. If I wanted America to fail, I would create countless new regulations and seldom cancel old ones that would be so complicated that only bureaucrats, lawyers, and lobbyists could understand them. That way, small businesses with big ideas wouldn't stand a chance. And I would never have to worry about another Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, or Steve Jobs. I would ridicule as flat earthers those who urge them to lower energy costs by increasing supply. And when the evangelists of common sense try to remind people about the laws of supply and demand, I enlist the sympathetic media to drown them out. If I wanted America to fail, I would empower unaccountable bureaucracy seated in a distant capital to bully Americans out of their dreams and their property rights. I'd send federal agents to raid guitar factories for using the wrong kind of wood. I'd force homeowners to tear down their own homes built on their own land. I'd make it almost impossible for farmers to farm, miners to mine, loggers to log, and builders to build. Because I don't believe in free markets, I'd invent false 
I devise fictitious products like carbon credits and trade them in imaginary markets. I convince people that this would create jobs and be good for the economy. If I wanted America to fail, for every concern I'd invent a crisis, and for every crisis I'd invent a cause, like shutting down entire industries and killing tens of thousands of jobs in the name of saving spotted owls. And when everyone learned the stunning irony that the owls were victims of their larger cousins and not people, it would already be decades too late. If I wanted America to fail, I'd make it easier to stop commerce than to start it, easier to kill jobs than create them, more fashionable to invent success than to seek it. When industries seek to create jobs, I'd file lawsuits to stop them, and then I'd make taxpayers pay for my lawyers. If I wanted America to fail, I would transform the environmental agenda from a document of conservation to an economic suicide pact. I would concede entire industries to our economic rivals by imposing regulations that cost trillions. I would celebrate those who preach environmental austerity in public while indulging a lavish lifestyle in private. I convince Americans that Europe has it right and that America has it wrong. If I wanted America to fail, I would prey on the goodness and the decency of ordinary Americans. I would only need to convince that all of this is for the greater good. If I wanted America to fail, I, I suppose I wouldn't change a thing. All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I see G. Skis in the house. Bob, USMC, Casanova, Frankenstein, Evil Clown, a host of guests whom I bribed, cajoled, and outright threatened to load up their <laughs> to load up their uh, their web pages their uh, just put me up there if I wanted America to fail I'd do exactly what you just heard suicide painless while we're waiting for results to come in from the Wisconsin recall election. We're going to talk about our usual subject. Breitbart strikes again. As a presidential candidate, in 2008, Barack Obama disavowed any connection with former domestic terrorist Bill Ayers of the Weather Underground. You know that radical who was one of Obama's early backers and his colleague on the board of the Woods Fund in Chicago. Well, we now have proof that Obama's association with Ayers continues even after he's been elected. Even after he was elected to the Illinois House, the Senate, and now the Presidency. Mm-hmm. The re- the relationship continued despite Obama's lies to the contrary. Who was it who said, uh, "Well, we're a product of who we associate with." Well, di- aside from our parents, 
Remember when our parents said, well, my mother said to my sisters, if you continue to hang around with those skanks, everybody's going to think you're a skank too. My mom said to my brother, you hang around with those no good hoodlums, you're going to be associated with them forevermore, and you're nothing more than a no-good hoodlum yourself. In March of this year, a lot of folks wrote that Obama was about to be exposed, including Andrew Breitbart. Back in the election of 2008, a lot of folks wrote stories such as the relationship Barack Obama doesn't want you to know about. The relationship was one of many questionable and somewhat characterologically revealing. Characterologically revealing. Relationships that should have been made, that should have made anyone question whether Obama should have even been considered, considered to occupy the highest position in the land. The Obama machine attempted to furiously squash any and all attempts to shed light on those relationships. And the sheep-like media went along because they were blinded by worship. Worship and I, what I like to call white guilt. Consequentially, Obama's connection with Bill Ayers and the Weather Underground was never thoroughly vetted. Hell, what was vetted about the guy? Do we even know that he attended Harvard? For sure, his records are sealed. And I'm looking at Sean P. Diddy Combs on the Fox News Channel. That dude is getting uglier by the minute. The hell, he's got a huge head and a, and a hooded uh, eyelid thing going on like Frankenstein. Oh, well. Well, in fact, Ayers even enjoyed a round of uh, rather positive media coverage himself, didn't he? In an attempt, in an attempt to show that he wasn't such a bad guy after all. I mean, all he did was to blow up and kill a few people. Hey, haven't we all been there? Haven't we all done that? But Ayers and Obama have always been dead serious about their commitment to social justice. As I said many times, and I repeat now, we simply cannot afford four more years of a president with a Bill Ayers mentality in the White House. We simply cannot. Now, a good friend of mine, Victor Davids uh, Hansen, says that in the therapeutic generation of Americans, well, we love to talk and worry about problems 
and then assume that either someone else will solve them or they'll go away on their own. But the problem with our federal debt is that it's not disappearing anytime soon. In fact, it can only get worse. What this country needs, the United States of America needs right now, is Chris Christie, Harry Truman, Donald Trump-like speaking, plain speaking, plain speaking. Have you noticed, folks, that Political figures such as Chris Christie, even Donald Trump, and so many others, Herman Cain, who speak plain, simple, plain English to the American people, have the highest ratings. Oh, you may not like him. You may not like them. You may not like what they have to say. But you respect what they have to say. And you listen. Because it's not the same old political rhetoric where you're asked a question and you never really get an answer to the question. How frustrating is it for a politician to be asked a direct question and he talks for five minutes, never ever answering the question? You all know exactly what I'm talking about. Chris Christie. And so many really good political figures. Marco Rubio, just to name one other, speak plain, simple English to the American people. Just as if we were all sitting around the coffee table. They have the highest ratings, and that's what America needs right now. Plain English, the truth. Not some political speak, not a soundbite. But just plain old simple English. Instead of each administration putting off a national reckoning until the next. Don't drill for oil. Don't grow food. And the price of both goes up. Spend what you don't have and later you'll have to pay even more back. The generation that ran up the debt and was largely responsible for the Social Security crisis that we will face very soon, has a responsibility to make things right on its watch. Such blunt talk is considered political suicide for most candidates and politicians. In fact, anything less for the rest of us is national suicide. Now, the dilemma that I just described is an insoluble one. For any politician whose only goal is re-election, doing what's right, doing what's right in that case runs second to doing what's necessary to keep his job, or her, if you insist. But the question is, why should they behave any differently. For decades, politicians of both parties have promised us the moon, never telling us the potential cost in the long run. We've been led to believe that politicians can get something, can give us something for nothing. If they only elect me, Elect me, and I'll give you something 
for nothing. I'll give you a mortgage that you can afford. I'll give you clean energy. I'll give you a handout. You don't have to work for yourself. You don't have to go it alone. Like our current president has said, Republicans want you to fend for yourself. Republicans want you to do it on your own. Uh, Yeah, uh, duh. That's how I grew up. Fend for myself. You know, there's a reason why, you know, I wanted to become a Marine. And I wanted to go even before graduation. And in order to do so, at being 17, my mom needed to sign the necessary forms which were brought to the house by the recruiter. She understood that I wanted to go out into the world and make my own mark. So she signed those forms so that I can do it for myself, do my thing, not sit around in her house for another year, mooching, living easy. But what's the solution these days? Always to tax the rich. Tax the rich and all will be well again. But as my friend Kevin Williams, Kevin Williamson argues, the only problem with that is there isn't enough rich people to go around. Now, there are lots of liberal definitions of rich. When President Obama talks about the rich, he's talking about people living in households which, with incomes of more than $250,000 a year, which includes me, and I had no idea that I was rich. The rarefied caviar-shoveling folks like me, rich folks, Nonetheless, there aren't many of rich folks running around. In fact, in 2006, the Census Bureau found only 2.2 million households earn more than $250,000 a year. And most of those are closer closer to the uh, Lubbock City manager than uh, the uh, Donald Trumps of the world. To jump from 50th to 51st, uh, the 51st percentile isn't that tough. Jumping from 96 to 97 takes a lot of money. It's lonely at the top. Think about it. When, it, when, when, it, when will we get to a point in America when, you're, when you are classified as rich because you make $40,000 a year, $50,000 a year, when when will it get to the point where Barack Obama and his cronies will come for you and say that you make too much money and you need to pay more? I'm not going to take it from you, but you're just going to have to pay a little bit more.
Well, we've got primary information coming in. New Jersey primary, Romney's 81%. He's going to walk away with that one. But what we're really interested in right now is uh, what's going on with Wisconsin. A lot of folks are making this Wisconsin race out to be a referendum on this administration, saying that if Scott Walker wins, which we think he will tonight, that pretty much Obama is doomed. And if Scott Walker loses, Obama is sitting pretty. I don't know, folks. Isn't it all so confusing? When did this all happen? You know, with George Bush as our president, we had to deal with a couple of wars, a stagnant economy in his last couple of years. There was terror on his watch. Pretty much that was it. And perhaps I'm oversimplifying. But wasn't it easier when we had George Bush as the President of the United States? Wasn't it easier? Wasn't America a simpler place? I mean, maybe you disagree. Now we're concerned about, well, hey, wait a minute now. We voted for this guy, but where does he come from? Who is he, who's he friends with? He doesn't even have, he never even had a girlfriend. Why is he wearing a wedding ring three years before he's married? Is he gay? Is he a pothead? Is he a cokehead? Is he a, is he a Marxist? Is he a uh, socialist? What is he? And why won't he release his records? It's all a big distraction. And the dude's running the country into the ground. Well, that doesn't help. What's Obama hiding? We're all concerned about it, aren't we? What is Obama hiding? Isn't it a little bit too late for that? How many of you were talking about what Obama may be hiding back in 2008? Not many, folks. Not many at all. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. And we're going to ask the we're going to ask the question. I want folks to call in if you will. Call in numbers 347-884-8500. We want to know what is Obama hiding and why. All right. We'll be right back.
upon by God and freed from chains and iron collar. He is held aloft on unity and by history revered for preserving peace through strength his wings now reach across two hundred years. But for each of those in one year more, God has smiled upon the core from the Barbary coast to the eastern sand by sword, by gun, or by bare hand. So it's been and shall be weighed, though many are born, few are made. Faithful always they shall remain, dogs to loose when war is waged. Robert Jones Situation Report. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. What's Obama hiding? Is the question for tonight. Now, the article was written in The American Thinker by Ed Lasky for June 5, 2012. And he asked the question, What is Obama hiding? It goes on to read, there are plenty of conjecture regarding Obama's biography. Certainly he has a penchant for fiction and does not care to fact check his own life. (laughs) Wisconsin exit polls, Barrett with huge lead among dead voters. Sounds more like Chicago than uh, <laughs> than Wisconsin, neighboring Wisconsin. All right, back to Obama. How does he care for others to fact check or scrutinize what has been what he's been doing as president? Has this been why he's been decimating the taxpayers' best friends in Washington, the Inspector General, Inspector? Generals are investigating official charges with monitoring government programs, waste and fraud, incompetency, and corruption, and that sort of thing. And they're the taxpayers' first line of defense against a rampaging, out-of-control, and corrupt government. Unlike many, if not most government programs, inspector general programs have been sterling returns on investments. For example... Daniel Levinson, Inspector General for the Health and Human Services Department, has been an unheralded hero for taxpayers. Since he took his job a few years ago, his investigations have led to more charges for uh, cha- charges for health care fraud than ever before. And his office has returned about $11 billion to Medicare Trust Fund. 
guy's doing a great job. But looking at the past three years of Barack Obama's presidency, there appears to have been a plan all along to blunt the effectiveness of the inspector general, of all the inspectors general. This has been done by a, by, a, by a variety of ways, by trying to force through Congress new and richly funded programs akin to slush funds without providing for the oversight that comes from the Inspector General program. <sighs> Folks, we have been sold a bill of goods here. Barack Obama was supposed to usher in a new way of being, a new political landscape, transparency. He was supposed to be the good guy. Didn't you all believe it? How many of you believed that Barack Obama was the good guy? Hell, I'm not ashamed to say it. I rooted for the guy over Hillary Clinton because at the time, I despised Hillary more than Obama. It's true. And I just knew that Barack Obama wasn't going to win. Huh. Silly me, right? Envy, resentment, and human nature. I've had friends over the last few days say that they've been envied for the little things they have. A friend of mine bought a new Mercedes-Benz. Not the top-of-the-line Mercedes-Benz. Certainly not the sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 model. Just your plain old average Mercedes-Benz. doesn't cost more than the car I drive, which is a, uh, a 2011 uh, uh, Nissan Maxima. But it's a Mercedes-Benz. Well, this friend of mine is getting all sorts of grief from her friends because she's driving a Mercedes-Benz and they're rolling around in their little hoopties. She's getting attitude. Remember when you had a neighbor or a friend who bought a new car and drove it up in their, in their driveway and you, you were like, wow. I wish I could afford a new car like that. And, and there was a little bit of envy there. But it was, wow, I wish I could afford a new car. Not, wow, why does he get to have a new car and I don't? He shouldn't have this fine new car while I'm driving my ratted out hoopty. You see how things have changed there was a time when we strove for greatness, when people who did well motivated us to do well. You're sitting across from another student in school, and he's an honor student. He's doing well. You wanted to best his ass. You wanted to do well because you wanted to beat him. You wanted to be just as good at what you were doing as he was at what he was doing. You remember those days? Those days are gone. Now he has not is not allowed to do so well 
because you're not doing as good. If you're sitting across from a student these days who's an honor student, who's doing a great job, who's getting straight A's, and you suck all to be damned because you spend your time after school playing video games and chilling in your mama's basement, and you go to school the next day and you're getting D's, chances are your teacher's going to say to the guy who's doing really well and a great job, hey, maybe you shouldn't do so well because the guy next to you is going to feel bad. You're going to make him feel inferior. You're going to hurt his little feelings. So maybe you should tone down your excellence for fear of hurting someone else's feelings. Remember when we were kids, Bob, G-Ski, Southern, Southern Sense, and there was like healthy competition, and if you lost, you just lost. That was it. You tried hard to win the next time. Well, apparently that's not good enough. Now, losing is good. And winning is bad. Oh, yeah. Winning is bad. What in the hell is going on? Well, we still don't have much really, really good news coming out of Fox News right now. Only 2% are reporting for New Jersey's primary. Not much else is going on. I think it's going to be quite a while before we get a definitive uh, result for the Wisconsin race. And that's a sad thing because I would love to report on it tonight. And I don't know if my man G-Ski is doing a show tonight. But if he is, he's probably going to have the results and scoop everybody. I know I know that GGT 183 of conservative primetime is going to have the scoop of the night. 2020 radio broadcast, his show, G-Ski Rocks, Mondays and Wednesdays, 9 p.m., I'm so screwed up, drinking way too much espresso. I can't even remember that very basic thing that 2020 broadcasts on just Mondays and Wednesdays. It looks like I'm going to have to start using those post-it notes like most old people post it up in the bathroom on the mirror. G-Ski Show is only on Mondays and Wednesdays. At 9 p.m. Damn it. How hard is that to remember? How hard is it to remember? And I can't seem to keep that in my head. It's almost over, folks. I'm 50 years old. Quite frankly, I didn't had no idea I'd live this long. But 
I'm still here. But I remember the good times. The good times. When Ronald Reagan was president. And it was all about America. And my fellow blacks coming right out of college were driving BMWs. 318i. That was the car for the for the young buppy, they called them. Black urban professionals. Remember when America had buppies and yuppies? Remember that? That was all under a guy named Ronald Wilson Reagan. What do we have under Barack Hussein Obama? Occupiers. People who want something for nothing. People who believe they're owed something. People who believe they should get college for free. People who believe they should have jobs for free. People who believe that they need a living wage and their loan should be forgiven. Oh, and that pesky uh, uh, credit reporting agencies, they should be abolished. But back when I was young, we had yuppies, young urban professionals driving around in nice, well, of course, the the entry-level BMWs, that boxy-ass 318i. A lot of you all know exactly what I'm talking about. I envied my college peers. Me coming out of college, I drove a Chevy Monza. Has anybody ever even heard of it? I drove a Chevy Vega. Brown. Both cars were brown. Believe it. And highly used before I got them. The first car I bought cost just over $2,000. Got a loan, my first loan ever in the whole wide world with Navy Federal Credit Union. A graduate of the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis. A graduate of the University of Michigan friend of mine rolls up in a red BMW 318i. They were living large under Ronald Reagan, claiming to be so poor. Oh, I can't stand Ronald Reagan. He's a racist. He cutting all these programs. He cutting this program and that program and he cutting all the programs. Yeah, but you rolling out. You rolling out in the fine BMW 318i. I'm working for the government. I'm driving a Chevy Vega, dude. Guys were living large under Reagan. All kinds of guys. White, black, Hispanic made no difference. Because Ronald Reagan was pro-business. Less taxes... Pro-business. Business flourished. They were hiring. People made money. It was all good. Now it's all bad. Yeah. It's all bad, baby. It's not the same. And... The leadership comes from the top, the top down. And now, 
there's talk of a a stimulus package, a new stimulus, and the excuse is that money is cheap right now. You can get a loan, the government can get a loan for pennies on the dollar. So then why not? Why not? So Paul Krugman is coming out saying that we should borrow more money. What do you think about that? Borrow and spend. It, let, let me ask you something right here and now. There's been a lot of talk about America going over a cliff financially. There's been a lot of talk about our mounting debt standing somewhere beyond $15 trillion. At what point do we actually go broke? Because there's talk this week about us possibly getting to the point where we're at $23 billion in debt. Let me ask you an honest and serious question. Does it really matter? Does it matter whether we're 10 trillion in debt, 15 trillion in debt, 30 trillion, 40, 100 trillion dollars in debt? Obviously nobody's asking us to pay it back. Can we just keep on ringing it up and it doesn't really matter? Let me ask you this. Are Republicans the only ones who care about this issue? And could it be that it doesn't really matter at all? I mean, really. Could it be that we're just saying, okay, well, the debt's being rung up. Barack Obama's running up a huge debt. We're in debt more under this president than all previous presidents combined. It's all true, but does it matter? And the question is different. It's not like, okay, who cares? It's does it matter? Because we've been going broke for the last four years. And we hear Republicans saying that we're going over a cliff financially. We hear Republicans say that soon the reckoning will be upon us. And we're leaving a massive debt for our children and our children's children and so on and so on and so on. But what does it matter? Under President Bush, we were at around nine, eight, nine trillion. We're at 15 now. What's changed? What's changed? Well, we have a call on the line. We'll take the call. Maybe, maybe the caller knows. What's changed? Hmm. I don't know. Caller, you're on with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Did you have a comment? Doc, it's Cool Mike. Cool Mike. Hey, there well, he is. One of the, uh, it does matter. And it should matter to all of us. One of the um, reckoning days, the Soviet Union actually kind of collapsed. 
when about 40, I think it was about 43 or 47 cents of every dollar became a borrowed dollar Mm -hmm. or they imploded. And it does matter because up until that time, we can still at least turn things around. Once it gets to that point of implosion, then it can't. The ball is moving towards there, but it's not at full speed. And without question, this president is the worst we have ever had. His loyalty does not lie with either the country or the Constitution. And the bottom line is we as citizens should care because an awful lot of people um, died trying to uphold what they believed was that Constitution. And we have an obligation, if not moral, we at least have one as Americans to protect the states of America, uh, not just from invasion, but from uh, collapse within. And we should care. We should care. All right. But, but let me ask you this, Mike. We Let's say we care that the debt's being run up. When when does, does the day of reckoning come for us debt-wise, and what's going to happen? You know, you, you, you and I know what – how how perilous it is to ring up debt. And at some point, you know, we go bank, we declare bankruptcy. You know, we have to sell some stuff. Our credit is uh, severely hurt. We can't afford to buy things. We don't have enough cash. We relied on credit all this time. What happens when the United States goes broke? Is it even possible? Well... I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I'm intelligent enough uh, to answer that question. I can say this. Throughout history, what happens is we get uh, we have anarchy, we have chaos, and then we run to the people that created the problem and beg them to help us out while surrendering all of our amendments, our freedoms, our rights, everything. And whoever is in power, everybody's happy because that party is in power. But in the meantime... We've done the same thing throughout history again, but with the exception of the fact that this this has been and still does remain the greatest republic around, although we're uh, headed in the wrong direction. What's going to happen, whether the dollar collapses or something else, I don't know. I, I do know that we can prevent this, that yeah. we can. Today's a huge day to start that. It's a huge day for conservatives. On the left coast, as far as uh, a lot, awful lot of military men are running, men and women, and challenging Republicans and, prim- and the rhinos in the primary, and today's a big day. If a lot of those people can get elected, you know, Doc, those, people, those people's alliance is to the country and the Constitution, not a party. And, see, that's, that's what's happened is that we have two parties. We have a huge Republican Party and a Democratic Party, and they're two businesses. Their product is the same thing, and they want to be successful at any cost. Well, people like you and I don't want that. Um, well, the both parties can be in existence, and we can still have a republic. But the bottom line is that we've got to, you know, we we as yeah. people do something. And, you know, Doc, what you just said is scary. And it's even more scarier that we can see this. Our eyes can actually see that doomsday. Yeah. I mean, it's sneaking up on us more and more and more. No doubt. Well, we have Bob USMC uh, on with us, Mike. Uh, Bob, do you know what happens when we go over the cliff and 
what happens when all, all the Republicans uh, who are saying that uh, we're headed for a financial meltdown and so on? What what happens? Well, I mean, if if uh, the debt is, I think it's already one hundred percent of GDP. And if you think about it in terms of like your family uh, household finances, you got to pay your mortgage, pay your electric bill, pay your food, and all that other crap every month. If uh, you don't have enough coming in to pay for the stuff that you you know want in your life, you got to cut back somewhere, or you go bankrupt. And like you said earlier, you start selling you know whatever you got to sell in order to make the payments. But in in this case, uh, each family uh, can't print money. The U.S. government can go ahead and print money. So then we're going to see it on the other end where we go and remember those pictures of uh uh God was it the uh, Weimar uh, Republic? Weimar Republic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the 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 barrel uh, the uh wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread. Yeah. And yeah. and then that's what's going to happen happen here at some point if they keep printing up money and, you know, inflation, massive inflation will occur at some point. It's going to have to because they're going to print money to pay off the debt to China or whoever, which is not going to make them very happy because that mo- that debt that loan that they floated us is now not worth as much. And in the whole the whole 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 thing's going to collapse. I mean, you know, we were we're already at the point where it's a hundred percent of GDP. I believe we reached it fairly recently. I remember watching a movie, uh, Casino Royale, and Felix Leiter, the character who was a CIA operative, was spotting um, James Bond's character. What, ten million dollars, so that he could. Uh, Go ahead and continue on with the game against uh, the large enemy. And the character said, uh, the CIA character says, I'll spot you the money. Don't worry about it. Go ahead and play. Does it look like we need the money? <laughs> we wonder if they'd be asking that answer, asking, uh, uttering that line now. Yeah, America needs the money now. We're broke. We're not the richest country on the on the planet anymore. We're becoming more and more like European countries as time goes by. And the president thinks that that's, that's a good thing. Do you think that the decline of this country, either of you, really started with the election of this president, or has it been something that's been gradual and, and coming all along? I think it's been it's been a long time coming. I mean... I don't have to tell you, you're a military man. I'm a veteran myself, and uh, you, know, you can clearly see like infiltration into the education systems for uh, before I was born. You know, I mean, before the '60s, and and also in the mass media, and, and they've been like just slowly but surely, methodically, you know, brainwashing decades after decades of youth to think a certain certain way and to act a certain way, and then now we get the Occupy idiots and. And a bunch of kids in college who can't even add, you know, without a calculator. Yeah. So, I mean, Mike, you know, it's been a long time coming, in my opinion. Um, Mike, the last word here, man. Okay. Anyway, I, I, I think I think it has escalated in the since 9-11 where we're losing our rights. But yeah. as far as the indoctrination that has been going on without us even really realizing it. And I think now, I think a lot of us on Blog Talk have been hit in the head by a bat, and we, we see it. And uh, but I, I I just think even I just Doc I just got done arguing with my with my sister, who's 
hoping like hell that, uh, you know, Scott Walker uh, stays in office, not even totally realizing that Scott Walker doesn't stand for anything a real conservative does, not Mm -hmm. even physically. So the bottom line is that, you know, it's people like us, like Bob, like you, like me, like Tesla, like GGT, Sarge. We're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to, when when that reckoning day comes, we're going to have to support the people who know what they're doing and... We just have to be, hopefully they'll be successful. But as far as the indoctrination, that's the education and all of that political correctness has been going on for 40 years right under our nose. And look, most people so ignorant, it's hitting them in the face and they can't even see it. Of that, there is no doubt. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Are you on tonight with uh, GGT or is that just uh, Sarge? Nope, nope, it's GGT and I and Sarge, and we are having uh, live updates from California as well as mm-hmm. Wisconsin and New Mexico. Um, all the veteran Marines and Air Force people who are running for office have been on our show. We're uh, hoping to get a few people to call in and give us updates. Today's a big day. We could have eight Marines represent the Republican Party in the left coast. Sounds and, good. Uh, you know, let's let's just hope that uh, – no, let's hope America wins and not necessarily a party. And let's hope that idiot Democrat from Wisconsin, that uh, the mayor of whatever, let's hope he falls off a flight of steps. That guy is a total idiot. He's got the brains of a fruit fly, that's for sure. I'm, see, I'm, I'm surprised he's hanging in. <laughs> I'm always surprised at how these guys manage to hang in so close to the Republican candidate when they're clearly inept. Yeah. And it's in every syllable that they utter out of their mouths. You can tell the guy is completely and utterly clueless. Anyway, we've got 90 seconds to go. Please tune in, folks, to GGT 183 tonight at uh, 11.30. I'll be be there tonight, I I promise. And uh, thanks for the call in, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks, uh, Bob USMC, all my listeners. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. We are out. Oh, man, what a day.